welcome back to another Hero Ball podcast. Today we will be covering the Pacific Division, and to do that, I am joined by Elkin Belcher. Elkin, we're going to be talking about the uh, the 2018 World Champions today. Uh, how do you feel about covering this this division? Um, I feel like this division is going to be one of those, uh, call it the John Calipari one and done. Uh, more like covering the NBA. Looks like we're going to be talking about the Warriors, and that's it. And the champions, we can both agree on that. Ethan has been a great pod. It's a great meeting up to talk about the Pacific Division. Hopefully our listeners catch us for the next pod. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the Warriors, they lost a few bums, added a few slightly better players, and they retained all their stars. So, yeah, good pod, and let's continue on next time. Till then. All right. Thanks, everyone. All right, that's just a little bit of sarcasm on our part. We actually will cover these teams with a reasonable amount of uh, diligency. But, I mean, Oaken, I do feel that way. I think this season is a little bit preordained, much like I felt about last season. You know, LeBron James may have something to say about that in the end. But, more or less, these, this Warriors teams, um, my notes I written wrote down were, they are good. Nay, they are great. So, Elgin, uh, you want to run through the players they added for us here? Yeah, so we added, well, we, I mean the Warriors. I mean, I'm not a Warriors fan, guys, by the way. Uh, Nick Young, Omri Caspi, both through free agent signings, and then Jordan Bell through the draft, oh, which was such a great pickup for them. And then in exchange for that, they lost Matt Barnes, Ian Clark, and James Michael McAdoo. So in a sense, not only did they dump some unnecessary players, they picked up some solid players and got better, got a little bit younger through the draft. And somehow, Ethan, I have no idea how they did it. But you did bring up a little conundrum that the Warriors might have. We talked about a little bit of death at the point guard position. What do you think about that right now? Yeah, we talked about that um, off pod right before we hit the old record button. But yeah, I, I just look at this roster, and um, when I glance through it, I'm I'm not seeing a a real backup point guard other than Sean Livingston, who you know in his twelfth NBA season is or thirteenth NBA season is you know getting a little long in the tooth. Now I love Sean Livingston; he's got his niche as a point guard, but he's more of a still like buckets guy. He goes out and you know takes his mid range jump shots, posts up the little guys, and that's what he does. He's not the you know, natural facilitator. And honestly, like, they really don't have a natural facilitator on this team because so many of their players are just, you know, good, really good facilitators, whether that being Andre Iguodala, Durant, Curry, and Draymond Green. But what I would what I would think if I was a Warriors uh, executive, I'd be looking at some of our um, less needed guys on these rosters, maybe um, some of these uh, two-way contracts, and I'd try to find me a, a young young point guard that could pop up from the D-League and give us some minutes and maybe groom him into being a backup that can eat some more minutes. Um, Patrick McCall will be a, a free agent after this next season because he uh, only got a two-year deal after being a draft pick. And that's something, a guy that they're going to need to replace. And while he is a bit more of a size guy, not really a point guard based on his uh, measurables, I think that'd be the the – the uh, roster replacement because he's probably going to cost more money than they're going to be willing to pay at the end of this season. I think it's time to add a player that they'll need in the future that you can, uh, you can use a little bit this season with those new two-way contracts. Definitely. And, and I definitely like what they're doing with the two-way contracts and kind of is exploring. And I like this idea of the two-way contracts, bringing on an idea from the NHL, have the NHL been using two-way contracts for a while 
And I like how the NBA is doing this, which is giving teams just a chance to kind of, yeah, it's kind of, kind of like what you said, see what they have there, see that talent and kind of develop talent and bring up some guys and make a positive contribution. And right now, even though we did cut around the beginning, these guys are still the favorites to win the championship. You kept your major players, not just starters, but also bench players, guys who played major minutes, pretty much um, just Ian Clark is the only guy who played, I wouldn't say major minutes in the finals and playoffs. I would just say, I mean, he had his spurts, but like you kept all your guys who are with you during the rotation, who are on the rotation. And that's what you want to do as a team. If something works, why mess it up or why change it? Unless if you can act, unless if you can add Kevin Durant. That's the only time I wish I would change it. But looking ahead, I think right now Vegas has them, as you put here, Ethan, uh, projected to be about 67 and a half games this year, the over-under. And I think that they have a chance to be better than last season after getting a chance to gel a little bit. I know they got these new guys, but I think they'll be able to gel better. To me, it wouldn't be out of the possibility if they if they hedge over a little bit around 68, 69 and have a great season like that. That's what I could possibly see for them. Yeah, I think they could win as many games as they put their minds to. Like if they, I think if they wanted to break their own record, I think they could. I think this team's good enough, and they have another year of chemistry, but um, under their belt, it 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 is a, it's a terrifying team. Um, I think they w- could go over, but I think it's so much dependent on what the Spurs or the Rockets and whoever that number two seed is doing, because I don't think they're going to be pushing for any more wins than they really need. But the thing is, they're so good, they're going to walk into wins even at the end of the season. Uh, a little another interesting thing about this Warriors team is uh, Steph Curry's the smallest guy on their team. He is, uh, per basketball reference, listed at 6'3". The next smallest guy on their team is Andre Iguodala, who is listed at 6'6", per basketball reference. And then you have this long line of players all between 6'6", uh, and then, you know, not to get to the centers, but 6'9", at Kevin Durant. So that's including your new new addition of Jordan Bell, you know, you're Sean Livingston, Nick Young, Clay Thompson, Patrick McCall, all these guys who are in that super switchy mold of defenders. Now, not all of them are great defenders, like a Nick Young and a uh, specifically thinking of Omer Caspi. Those guys are have their moments and the potential to be good defenders, but not historically good defenders. But, like, that whole thing, like, in a pinch, any of those guys can switch onto almost anyone in the league, and that's what makes them so scary on the defensive end. And, you know, forget about the fact that, both Omri Caspi and Nick Young are, I would say, improvements on shooting from Ian Clark and uh, Matt Barnes, the guys that they're replacing. But I think they're slightly better defenders, maybe not than Matt Barnes, but Ian Clark was a sieve last year as a defender. So that's a, that's an improvement getting Omri Caspi or, or uh, Nick Young in, the, in his replacement. And I'm glad you bring it up. I'm not even, I'm not making this up right now. As I was looking at this uh, before the podcast, all I was thinking about was the length, the exact same thing you said, which is the biggest thing we're adding on to kind of piggybacking what you said is in this league with all the pick and rolls that teams run now and the way they try to spread the floor, you need that type of switchability. You need guys who can not, be, not only just run out to the perimeter, but you need those guys who are able to at least have some size with defenders and be able to switch or maybe a bigger guy. And even, and even Kevin Durant, that's a very generous 6'9", because Kevin Durant's more like 6'11". He's taller than DeMarcus Cousins. I saw the picture of those two standing next to each other at the Olympics. He is taller than DeMarcus Cousins. But I think this team is doing something right, and they kind of figured out something that the Clippers could never figure out, which was how to get a solid small forward. Even before Kevin Durant, they had guys who can play small forward in the Clippers. Ever since Chris Paul, I'm pretty sure that's the only position they can never figure out. So um, that switchability is something that, 
I've enjoyed about the makeup of the roster. The rosters is have been maintained well. The coach is good. The Warriors are the favorites to win. That is my Warriors take. Yeah, and you know, you said they, they they've got something going. They're doing a good job. I mean, that's one of the biggest understatement of the uh, history of the Hero Ball podcast. They're doing a lot of things perfectly, like uh, giving the Bulls some cash just so they can uh, draft a uh, a bouncy uh, power forward center guy. You know, and even going into their centers, like a JaVale McGee, while not being um, known for his, like, defensive awareness, he's still a rangy athlete and for a moment, on a moment's notice, can cover some of these smaller guys. And then David West, though, he's not uh, the most agile player anymore. He's got that, uh, you know, veteran's tenacity and, you know, he just knows all the little tricks of the trade. So he's a very um, effective player, especially come postseason time when he really will, you know, focus in probably that extra effort. You know, but for what it's worth, I'm really kind of done talking about these guys. They're they're really good, and no one no one will say otherwise. And if you say otherwise, you're just a fool, because when you can have two of the probably the top uh, five or six best players in Curry and Durant, and then you have maybe the best catch and shoot guy in the league in Clay Thompson, and you know reigning defensive player of the year Draymond Green, and that's your top four. Like we all know, that's going to be good, and we don't have to harp on this anymore. I <laughs> know, no, definitely. Definitely. You bring up a good point. And yes, everyone knows they're all on that team. That's all you could say. When you have the chemistry, you got to keep the chemistry going. So let's go ahead and move on to our next team, Ethan. Uh, they made one of the biggest moves in the offseason, and that is the Los Angeles Clippers. Go ahead and tell us some, some of the roster changes that they did. Okay, so I won't have all the names that were involved in the Chris Paul trade. I have all the names that are still on the roster from that trade. And that would be Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell, and that's via trade. They signed, for the first time in franchise history since the Chris Paul era, they signed a small forward in Danilo Gallinari of actual importance. They also signed uh, Willie Reed and um, international star Milos Tandochis. And via the draft, the Juwan Evans and Sundarius Stormwell. So we, you can already forget about the rookies because uh, Doc Rivers doesn't use rookies. So forget about them. Anyway, um, their losses, obviously, the great Chris Paul in that trade. J.J. Redick went to Philadelphia. Jamal Crawford went to Atlanta and then was cut by them, signed with the Timberwolves. Most Spates went back home to Orlando. And Raymond Felton uh, uh, blitzed for OKC to be Russell Westbrook's backup. So, and Luke Balamute went to Houston to uh, go play for a team that probably has a better chance of winning. So, there's been a great exodus and a great, um, you know, a lot of new players on this roster. Uh, Elkin, how do you think that will affect the chemistry of this team going forward? Um, I think they're going to have to build chemistry on the fly. But you know who won't have trouble building chemistry? That would be Blake Griffin and Delino Gal. Gallinari, mainly because they both enjoy punching people and breaking their hands. For those who don't mm. know, Gallinari just broke his hand this summer in international play, got upset. I had a chance to look at the clip, got upset, and went to hit the guy, punched him in the face, broke his hand, and now he's out for a little bit. So those guys can bond a little bit over punching people out of anger. But overall, if you look at it, um, it's never easy to bring in so many players and expect – there to be such chemistry off the bat. I think this will be a year in which they definitely dip. They're not going to get the 51 ones they got last year. I think it is a weaker West, though, overall. So they could have a chance to get a lower seed. They're not going to be the worst of the West, but a chance to get a lower seed if they want to and probably maybe get a chance to go against the Warriors. But I do like some of these players that picked up in the trade. I've been a big Patrick Beverly fan. 
I love his defense. I love his tenacity. And I love how he can get in people's nerves. I've been I've loved that. Lou Williams, I mean, he gets bucket, that's all you can say. In the playoffs, though, his contribution always goes down. And then you have some young guys like Decker and Harrell who are just gonna bring you energy. Gallinari, when he's healthy though, he's not gonna be as athletic as he used to be, but I think he's still gonna provide a lot of production at the three. But I'm interested though, definitely interested by that pickup of Milos Chidoser from overseas. Because if you guys have never heard of this guy, go ahead and look up the highlights. He's possibly one of the most talented passers out there. So I'll go ahead and just check him out, look at him. And, I mean, you'll have some type of excitement for the Clippers. But, Ethan, if we're going to say this, you can't lose a Chris player like Chris Paul, even when you replace him with all these pieces, and expect not to have a drop. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a drop in production. But like you know, like we've mentioned, you mentioned Patrick Beverly and Tandochis, both of them. Um, they might be able to mask it a little bit in terms of covering for Chris Paul, and in some ways, maybe it can be not you know necessarily better, but a different kind of good. You know, sometimes you get a player like a Chris Paul, like a LeBron James, someone who dominates the ball a lot, even though they're you know exquisite passers and they set up their teammates incredibly effectively. People can get a little stale playing around them because they are kind of you know we'll just we're waiting for you to tell us what to do. And you know, between them, you know, Tendoji's coming over, and while he, I've heard he's incredibly confident and knows his skill set. You know, he, he might have a, a, a little transition period where he's you know you know, passing a lot and not necessarily looking to be the assist guy, but just moving the ball and getting everyone involved. And then Patrick Beverly, who is a, a great point guard in my eyes, he's a great uh, – just you throw him on any team and he's going to play because he's going to be a good defender and he's a capable three-point shooter. I think the combination of those guys aren't better than Chris Paul, but they give a different uh, a different type of advantage because you're keeping the defense with Patrick Beverly and you're keeping some kind of wizardry passing with Tandoches. And also, now we're getting to see – we'll get to see Blake Griffin uh, go into the absolute primary focus of an offensive team. And that's something I've been looking forward to when he started, you know, playing that little point forward role anytime Chris Paul was off the floor. So I'm interested in this team, and I really think it's going to be a fun team to watch. you got, you know, Lou Williams, who's been a prolific bench scorer for his entire career. Austin Rivers, who's made some improvements. I'm not ready to say he's a good NBA player, but he's he's made improvements defensively especially. This team's going to be really interesting, but you mentioned it's hard to build chemistry when you lose so many players, and they lost six of their top ten minutes getters last year. So six of their ten guys, you know, these are primary rotation guys, are no longer affiliated with the Clippers, and that's something that's always hard to, to um, you know fix uh, quickly because you just don't have the, the reps together. Yeah, and definitely. So that's where I see the, the projection of 45 and a half from Vegas. I see it kind of right there. I can see them – being right at about a 500 team, 41, because the talent itself, the pieces, it's not a bad compilation of talents. You do have talent all over the roster, and that does matter for the NBA. Like, I always say, point to the Pacers. The Pacers last season picked up all these talent guys. They couldn't play together worth anything. But you know what? At least talent does get you somewhere in the NBA, and I think these guys are going to be hovering right around close to 500. They're not going to show off. I can see a ceiling of, like, 45 wins, but I see them – Staying around for 500 for most of the season. And I am, um, I agree with that quite a bit. I look at them and they're in a very similar state as the uh, Portland Trailblazers in my mind. They have some high uh, um, top end talent and like, you know, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan in terms of defensively. And then just like the, the Blazers have uh, Willard and McCollum, you know, 
top guys offensively. So I look at this team and I say that they have a, a pretty high basement, you know, unless injuries, you know, plague them, they're, they're going to be in that 40 to 45 win range. And I would say that they go under their, uh, their projection from Vegas because I just think they're going to be a 500 team. I just, I don't see them. I don't see them eclipsing 41 in my eyes. I think they're going to be right in that like eighth seed race with the lake, uh, not with the Lakers. Gosh, they popped up on my screen with the trailblazers and the Clippers they are both going to be around that 500 fighting for that eight seed. It's going to be quite a little uh, cluster down there at the eight seed. Cause I think the warriors are going to run through a lot of people. You know, the Rockets are going to run through a lot of people, the Spurs, even though I'm thinking they're going to take a step back, they're still going to run through a lot of people. And the Timberwolves are going to, I guess that, that little cluster right after those top three, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. And I really need a, you know, kind of take a step back after we finish all these division outlooks and really put together a playoff picture. Because when I focus on these teams individually, I can get a little hazy on my opinions and how they how they weave together. But I'd say the Clippers, just based on their talent, they are a 500 team this year. All right, and that sounds like we know the Clippers are going to be hovering around mediocrity. And, and let's go to the real champions, Ethan. Let's talk about 2018 champions now. We're kidding when we said the Warriors, guys. We weren't being serious. 2018 champion, Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, they're – no, they're not bad guys. Let me not get, even get started. Um, they brought in Brooke Lopez via trade and also Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And then through the draft, they brought in Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, Thomas Bryant. Well, at the same time, losing D'Angelo Russell, Nick Young, Thomas Robinson, Timothy Moskov, Tariq Black. So with the addition – a more solid basketball player. This is how I look at it. I look at adding Lopez, not really going to blow you away at center. Not really going to do that, but but Brooke Lopez, he's still going to drop 20. And Contebius Caldwell-Pope, for at least for a one-year deal, still a solid pickup. So I think they got good NBA guys, and I think they will improve. But Ethan, how do you think the mixture with the young guys and some of these – these veterans, how do you think it's going to work with the development and where the Lakers want to go as they improve and get back to being NBA elite, as you want to say? Well, this season, I'm still not optimistic about it. I just, I don't, I don't see a path to, for them to exceed their projections unless they add talent. And if I'm the Lakers looking at the opportunity to have some cap space, um, I don't look to make trades that bring on longer term deals unless you're also getting rid of. Luau Dang in the process. Their over-under is a 32-and-a-half. I, I mean, they could go over that and hit maybe 35. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, what is, what is 35 wins? It's it's still below what, what the Lakers expect. But I look at their team, and I like some of their pieces. They are a pretty young team all in all. You know, the, the additions of uh, KCP and Brooke, Brooke Lopez, you know, those guys, you know, especially uh, Contavious, like, you know, this is going into his fifth season. He's still not an old guy. You know, Brooke Lopez is quite a bit older, but, and, you know, Contavious is going to vibe well with Alonzo Ball, uh, backcourt partner. Um, so the other, only, other, only other old guys are Corey Brewer and Luol Deng. So I like this team in terms of vibes, and I think Luke Walton's going to do well to keep them playing hard. Yeah, oh, no. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And I, and I see the potential starting lineup that they have here. Uh, listed of having Alonzo Ball, the Contavious Caldwell Pope in the backcourt with Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle at the forward, and Brooke Lopez at the center. That's honestly, there are worse starting lineups in the NBA than that starting lineup. Uh, for me, this starting lineup of these five guys, the talent that they have isn't that bad. 
But at the same time, though, I look at a Brandon Ingram. What are you going to get from Brandon Ingram now? What are you going to get from him after after his rookie year? Are we getting an improvement? I mean, everyone keeps saying he has a Durant-like body. What are you going to get from that? You still have players like Julius Randle. What's he doing? Is he gonna is he gonna get a better outside shot? Is he gonna do more than just I'm gonna crash the boards, get a ten and ten every night? What are you getting from these guys? And I feel like when you have Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, and then Jordan Clarkson, these younger guys, and even Larry Nance Jr., I think there's a chance that one of those guys is probably gonna get traded in a package deal. I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think one of those guys because of Possibly the contracts are going to start coming up, and just the Lakers reevaluating their talent. I think one of those guys are going to be gone from the Lakers. Yeah, I think it would be wise to try to package a Randall Dang deal. You know, try to get off Dang's contract by using a young guy like Julius Randall, who is going to be up for contract extensions this season, and then a restricted free agent come the end of the season. Um, you know, Jordan Clarkson. I I still wonder about the contract he got in terms of like. They, they really tried to retain him. They, I think they're overpaying him now at, at the 11, uh, $11.5 million hit. Like, he's just – he's not a versatile enough player for me to value that in that way. But, like, when it comes down to it, I look at um, the way they're going to try and play. And, you know, Luke Walton uh, was the coach – or assistant coach with the Warriors, a team that passed the ball and, in fact, led the league last year at 70% of their field goals being assisted. That was their field goal uh, assist percentage. Last year, the Lakers team, trying to play like the Warriors, were fifth uh, fifth worst in the league in assist percentage by my calculations. And it was a 53%. Now, adding a point guard in Lonzo Ball versus a point guard like D'Angelo Russell, I think we see the step in the right direction to the Clippers playing closer to Warriors basketball. We're not going to uh, bridge the gap completely today and probably not even for another year unless there's a big free agent that arrives. But I can see this team making the correct step. I still don't think that equates into lots of wins. I just don't think Lonzo um, is going to make everyone that much better. I think he makes Brandon Ingram a lot better because now Ingram's going to have a chance to work some off ball and get some easier shots. But, you know, Julius Randle is the kind of attitude guy that's going to need – that wants the ball in his hands some. And I just don't think he's necessarily the most effective player to do so for this team. And I just think it, it's – there's a lot of me basketball in this team, and that's the thing that – uh. Luke Wallen's going to have to come back. There are a lot of guys here that are trying to get paid. And if you look at what happens to Neurons Noel, all the talent was there, and he did not get the deal he was looking for this offseason. A lot of guys are going to be looking for those stats, and these, especially these young guys who will be restricted free agents. And also, too, I forgot to mention one of the key losses of the Lakers, uh, $500,000. When I say that, I do mean that in total jazz. For those of you who don't know, the Indiana Pacers accused the Lakers of tampering with Paul George, a.k.a. In the NBA, it's illegal to talk about other players if you're not on your team, especially if you're a management position. And they believe the Lakers might have done a little bit too much. Magic Johnson might have spoken here and there, or they might have gone behind their backs and spoken to. Honestly, there's a joke, first of all, on the Pacers' part. And if it's really tampering, NBA, really $500,000. That's enough money, I'm telling you. like That's pretty much pocket change for these owners. So that's just one thing. I just had a comment on that, that $500 is a joke. And that the Pacers... You guys, Paul George is going to leave. Didn't matter if the Lakers tampered or not. That's the end of the story. And that's my last tidbit about the Lakers. That $500,000. I'm done, Ethan. Better move on before I keep going. Okay. Well, let's all say this. We talk about tampering. This is my chance to throw in some Miami Heat talk. You know, the Heat once traded $1, uh, $1 million and a first-round pick to the Knicks when they were uh, 
caught tampering to get Pat Riley. And I still say that was the best trade that he'd have ever made, getting Pat Riley for a million dollars in a first-round pick. So That's so yeah, worth it for them. Big deal, $500,000 if you land Paul George in the grand scheme of things. Oh, definitely. In the heat now, they can look back at it. Got Pat Riley three championships later to their franchise. I'm sure they would rather, they would definitely do that again. Any decade, if you can tell them three championships, all you got to do is lose a first-round pick, million dollars. Tell me which year you want that first-round pick in. That's what Miami will tell them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we, we, we have a history now of uh, tampering and <laughs> the, the penalties for them just not being, you know, that – I don't want to say maybe the word is relevant, but just it's – $500,000, man. Like, that's a lot for me or you and, like, a lot of the, our listeners. But, I mean, for these owners, man, that's, like, that's nothing. It's nothing. And this happens so much. There's so much tampering. And not just tampering. Something else is the wink-wink deals that a lot of teams have with a player. Like, hey, we're going to release you. But then wink-wink, we're going to sign you back. So when we release you, just be ready that we're going to sign you or something like that. And, like, that happens so much in the NBA, all these wink-wink. And so many teams have lost. Uh, trust me, if you guys could know – all the tampering that was going on, I'm pretty sure the NBA could find every team when they wanted to. Yeah, but that's just that's just not good for media stuff. So like, let's let's just get off this wagon. Like, I mean, we can talk, <laughs> we can talk about the conspiracy theories all we want some other time. Oh, definitely. But we got we got an exciting young team here to to talk about uh, yeah. the Phoenix Suns. Additions of Josh Jackson, Dev, Devon Reed, and Mike James. Not that Mike James via the draft. And their losses, as of now, is Alex Lynn has not been re-signed and has not signed anywhere else. Leonardo Barbosa, uh, he was lost to, I don't know, he's probably just not around. I don't even know who Jarrell Eddie is and John Jenkins. I recognize that name. But basically they lost nobody as of, of, of consequence because their team wasn't that good last year. So, okay, we're going to get this thing started. Josh Jackson, you have any hot take opinions on this young guy? Before Josh Jackson, you did get me a little excited when you said Mike James. I was thinking of the Mike James, infamous. For those of you who don't know, he's from 2000s NBA basketball lore, one of the greatest NBA journeymen out there. I'm just going to bring that up. Now, let's go ahead. Uh, Josh Jackson, when I see him, I honestly think for what they want to do, where they're going, this looks like a team that's going to have another awful year just looking all around. Already lost players such as Brandon Knight, as much as we laugh at him. When he was healthy at his best, he wasn't that bad towards ACL. But we have Josh Jackson here. My projection as far as what he could possibly be, if he puts the tools together, defense improves the shot because please go ahead and YouTube his jump shot. His jump shot really hurts my eyes when I see it. I just hate it compared to other guys and how it looks. Um, if he puts it together, he has the ability or – to possibly be good. Um, there's a there's a website called 538. For the, you guys don't know about it, it's kind of an offspring of Grantland. They have what's called a Carmelo NBA Player Projections. Ethan, I've spoken about this before, and what this does is it takes a player and kind of takes their stats, uh, use a lot of metrics, and see if they're above average or if they're below average, and then it also looks at the wins above replacement projection, which kind of shows you who can you compare their performance to within the last so years. So Josh Jackson's a rookie, so it's looking from now until about 2024. Some of the top players it projects his performance to are, they said he's possible from a young Luol Deng, Otto Porter, a young Rudy Gay, Thaddeus Young, or Tristan Thompson, or Chris Bosch. Looking at these, mind you, this is just 
this is a project I've been working on. So these are the top players they said his career could look like. If he reaches his potential, it's one of those guys who has the tools. I look at it like Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard had the tools, awful, awful shooter, but then he developed it. And I'm honestly, if the Suns can get this guy to develop and he has that work effort to get better, I'm excited for the talent that they have in him. Now, what do you think about him, though, Ethan? I think a good comparison, actually, might be Luol Deng. And I think – I don't know if he ha- if Josh Jackson has a support system like a coach Tom Thibodeau to really develop him. Now, maybe he won't get uh, grounded up uh, into down to his bones. But Josh Jackson has all the defensive potential in the world and a lot of athleticism, probably more so than a Luol Deng. And I think, yeah, if he can just have a serviceable jump shot, he's going to have a nice career. I look at him a lot like Andrew Wiggins in terms of uh, how – like his body type. But obviously Andrew Wiggins has a little bit better shot, has a lot better shot, and Josh Jackson has a lot better defense. But when you look at those two guys, I think there's no reason they couldn't be identical to each other and both be really effective. Josh Jackson just needs to shoot. Andrew Wiggins just needs to learn how to play defense. And I look at him the way he's going to be playing. He's going to be playing alongside this this season and Eric Bledsoe and uh, Devin Booker. And I look at that team and say, okay, we got a, a point guard that you know likes to shoot a lot, but has been known to be a decent facilitator. And we got a straight shooter in Devin Booker. I think this gives him an opportunity to learn how to work off ball a lot and then, you know, cover both, uh, especially Booker's defensive, uh, uh, just he doesn't play defense. Um, and that will give him a good chance to really show people what he can do. Having the opportunity to work off ball as a rookie, I think is really important for development. Because if you're give the if you're a rookie and you have to have the ball in your hands, especially if you're not a point guard, it, you, a lot of times it's taking players out of their element and not allowing them to play w- with what they do best. I look at uh, Marquise Chris, who, like, didn't have a great rookie year, but he had he, he, he got to be the best version of himself last year playing alongside, you know, a, a primary scorer in Booker and a decent facilitator in Eric Bledsoe. So Marquise Chris, I don't think he's going to ever be a star. He got to be the best version of what I thought think he could be in his rookie season last year. And I look at Josh Jackson to have a similar type of role where they're going to put him in a situation to be the best version of himself. And I think you're definitely right on that one. And you brought up uh, Devin Booker, which is another one of the other key players. Now, Devin Booker, young guy, one of the youngest guys in his draft, the youngest guy in his draft. Ethan, is Devin Booker – it's a good stats, bad team guy. What I mean by that, a guy who gets really good stats. And by stats, I mean just points. I'm looking at just points. A point guy who gets his points, but mainly because he's on a bad team. Or is he generally a good NBA player? I think he's a good NBA player, but he's not a great one yet. I think he has a chance to be. But I saw a term on Twitter the other day of uh, premium mediocre, mediocrity. You know, he's one of those guys. He is the premium style of um, mediocre players uh, he's like you know scoring 22 points a game well that, that that's a result of playing someone's got to put it in the hole uh, I used to call it the Chris Bosch effect before I uh, before I fell in love with him as a player I and mean, you can probably figure out why I started to like him more but you know somebody's got to score on every team and I think he's that guy I think if you put him on a, a team that still had a good offensive set like if you put like if you swap him and Clay Thompson out Offensively, he's going to be just as good as Clay, but you know the team, the overall team, will be worse because he's such a bum defender. I think he's just a product of a system where he's allowed to shoot a lot, he's allowed to you know play with the ball in his hands and also run off ball. But he's got to improve these percentages if he's going to move for out of my uh, my favorite new term is a, a premium mediocrity. Uh, and I love that term. Just hearing you when you brought that up, I was like, man, this is great. Now this team. Really, really bores me looking up and down this team, Ethan. Is there anyone else on this team who I should be excited about? 
Um, maybe not excited, but really key in on these two players. First one I want to talk about is TJ Warren. This is going to be the final year of his rookie contract. And he's the kind of guy who the league is kind of passing by. He's kind of a mid-range scorer from the three. But honestly, based on his uh, physical attributes, he probably should play more four, you know, in the today's NBA. Watch for him, and if he can improve and become a better three-point shooter, what, what he'll be getting next year in free agency. If he's going to be one of these guys like an Evan Turner and Alan Crabb who really could cash in on a t from a team that just ha happens to run into some cap space. But otherwise, um, the other guy I want to think, think about is Dragon Bender and what does he do in now his third season in the NBA. I think he's he's got a lot of potential, but he, he's just such still a small and skinny guy, and that seven-foot frame is not being utilized. So those two are the two guys, and go feel free to let me know what you think about those guys. I mean, definitely. Like, I've enjoyed watching T.J. Warren and just seeing him kind of just develop, seeing the type of game that he has. And I also like – I also do like Tyler Eulis as well. That's another player – who I would love to see get more playing time. And I think with Brandon Knight being out at the ACL injury, that's what we're going to see because who else is really going to supplement Eric Bloodsell at the point guard? You really just have Tyler Eulis, and that's it. So I really want him to get more playing time. What I saw from him coming in, the way that, that we saw his game develop, second-round draft pick, but, man, the guy, he's five foot nine, but don't confuse him with the type of defensive ability that Isaiah Thomas has. He may be five foot nine, but I think he's one of the better defensive players for his height. He has some of the quickest hands I've ever seen. If you watch him, go ahead and look up some defensive film on him. Quick hands. And let's not forget the amazing game winner against the Boston Celtics. Fadeaway three at the buzzer. Game set blouses. That's what I'm really – I forgot that's one guy. When I asked you about that, I forgot about that one guy. I'm excited for him. And I'm embarrassed that I forgot about him. We did it recently did a uh... – a 2K My League with my roommate and a, his brother and a few other people. And I dra way overdrafted him, took him in like the fifth round to be my backup to John Wall because I love Tyler Eulis. I cannot believe I forgot about this guy. He, um, and you know, he's reunited with his, uh, his backcourt partner from Devin Booker's one year at Kentucky. So they, that's some chemistry I'd like to see continue to develop. And, you know, maybe, maybe it'll happen. I, I really like Tyler Eulis, and I remember when he was coming out in the draft and when he started slipping, like, from where I thought he should go, I was, like, begging Pat Riley to buy into the second round and get him because if you look at the Heat's roster, we still don't have a, a true backup point guard. So uh, there you go, everyone who was waiting for another Heat comment. There it is. Um, we can continue on to the Kings if you're ready, Elkins. <laughs> yeah, and just one last thing. Uh, Suns are projected to be about 25-and-a-half games by Vegas over-under. I can see that going under. I honestly see him about winning 20, 21 games this season. Yeah, especially if um, any of their better players miss time, like an Eric Bledsoe, some guy who can you know win you a given game every once in a while. But I do think they'll be fun to watch, given the uh, personnel on their team. I think they, they'll be the victim of running out of gas late in games, and that'll probably cost them any game, a lot of the games that they had a chance to win, just because a lot of their young guys aren't going to be used to an NBA season. Oh, definitely, definitely. And speaking of young guys, you're ringing up the Kings. And the Kings, one, the last team we're going to talk about in this division, I would say had one of the more frisky drafts out of them. I mean, I'm going to start with the draft first and then some additions that they had, some signings that they had. So in the draft, they got Darren Fox, Harry Giles, Justin Jackson, and Frank Mason. Don't forget the number, the third. 
And then they brought along veterans such as George Hill and Zach Randolph and Vince Carter and Bogdan Bagdanovich. Now, Ethan, when I look at this, this is a team that's loaded. You, I was, I was looking at the roster. Besides the key veteran signings of Carter Randolph and George Hill, these guys maybe had just Garrett Temple on here and Costa Kufis as veterans. I'm talking about this probably the youngest team up there, even though Vince Carter kind of messes up the age, so he's like Randolph. I look up and down the roster. I see guys between 19 and 24. There's about, I believe, there's about eight guys. I'm, I'm counting. I'm really counting just right now on the fly, just looking at the roster. There's a guy between that, like, 19 and 24 age range. There's about eight guys, close to eight guys. And we're talking about youth. Now, can you talk about how they can mix these veterans with these newly signed players, not just draft, not just drafted players, but also to some of the younger guys they're bringing along. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how they do that because I look at George Hill and he's a guy who I think you can play two point guards like together with because he's a good enough off ball shooter that he he can be utilized if you want to get De'Aaron Fox a lot of the reps there. Um, I look at Vince Carter as a freak of nature athlete um, who you know has transform the way he plays and the way he takes care of himself to still be an effective player up into his age 40 season. And then you add a guy like Zach Randolph who has no physical um, advantage over people other than just weighing more than them and then bumping and moving them. And you're going to be throwing him into a, you know, practice drills with the Willie Colley-Stein, Papianis, who I haven't seen anything from of importance, a Giles, and then one of my favorite players, Scala Bizier. Like it's, it's a really interesting uh, trio of old guys, and if you look at all their old guys in general, including Costa Kufis and Garrett Temple, three of their five old guys have Memphis ties with one Dave Yeager as a coach. So, like, I think that uh, will give you a little hint of why those guys are on the team now. He obviously has something with those players and wants them to bring something to his young guys. They got they got the young guys, man. If they if they develop these guys correctly, they're going to have a very formidable team and some really tough decisions to make in a few years when all these guys are getting their uh, second contracts. Yeah, that's definitely true. And who knows if they're going to be able to keep all the young guys. And cause as I see it, I mean, there's there's a chance that Frank Mason III is going to be pushing guys like Darren Fox in practice and George Hill. But who knows if they're going to actually be able to keep these guys. I mean, Frank Mason, unfortunately, could be one of those guys who get put in a package for a trade if you're trying to just kind of cut some cat space or if, or if he's just a guy that you're just like, hey, someone else really wants him, might be able to get some draft picks or later on. But one thing that I am ex- that I am kind of wanting to see is Harry Giles. Harry Giles used to be the former number one ranked player in high school. Unfortunately, throughout this time when he was ranked number one, I believe tore both ACLs, which is almost a death sentence. But he's here in the NBA. Now, if he can put it together with Talisha says, Justin Jackson and Darren Fox, I think they're starting to get an actual nucleus. Because I'm trying to look right now and see who has the most superstar potential. Obviously, the pick is De'Aaron Fox. When you see the tools that he has, he has a chance to be a John Wall-like guy. I mean, I didn't even think he was as tall as he was, which was a 6'3", but he's quick. He's not as strong, but with a lot of younger guys, you can build, you can bulk up as the years go by. If he does the right training, keeps it up, I mean – I think just kind of working, and you and you brought up a point that George Hill can't play. George Hill's a comparable guard, and you can't pair him up. Pair him up with either like Frank Mason or pair him up with Darren Fox. 
And that's the right way to do it. Bring those guys along with George Hill. And I like, I really want to see Darren Fox develop. At first, I was hesitant about the George Hill signing. I'm like, what are you doing? You really want Darren Fox to kind of just develop. But sometimes if you get the right veteran, it does not hurt. And that's what I want to see for the Kings. I only want good for the Kings. That's all I want. When you get players like Darren Fox, I'm still a little mad that I know they traded to get more picks, but they had the chance to unite the Aaron Fox and Malik Monk. Come on, Kings, you can't miss out on a chance like that. But I'll let it slide for now, but it's going to bother me for a while. Yeah, especially when uh, Malik Monk's just throwing up big numbers for Charlotte this year. It's going to be a little frustrating development. But, yeah, I look at this team, man, and I, I, I like – actually, like, the longer I've thought about it, um, the more I like some of their veteran signings because you just need a professional guard on your team. You really do. And a lot of times he can be more of a journeyman guy, but it's still you need that steady, confident hand with the ball occasionally. You know, Buddy Heald is going to uh, benefit from playing with a guy like George Hill. And, you know, for whatever it's worth, that Malachi Richardson, a one-year experience athlete out of Syracuse, he's going to um, get uh, benefits from playing with a guy like Vince Carter. You know, in terms of body style, at, like obviously Malachi is not the same athlete as Vince Carter was in his heyday, but he's an athletic athletic 6'6 guard. You know, all these – like when I look at these signings, and, you know, we never know what these guys do when they're off time and in practice. We don't know if these guys actually want to be mentors to these young people. But I see the potential for all these old guys they sign because they have a connection with the coach, I see the opportunity for these old guys to help these young guys develop. And but the guy I want to talk about uh, that didn't get enough playing time for my, in my opinion, last year is Scal Labissier. I don't know how much you know about him, Elgin. He was a really highly touted high school player that went to Kentucky, and he's one of the few guys that didn't really thrive in the Coach Cal system. And I don't really know why that is. I don't know if he just didn't have the personality that meshed with Coach Cal once they got there. But when I look at his statistics, he's a guy who only got to play in 33 games total, started the final 12, if I remember correctly, averaged 18 and a half minutes per game. And as a guy who doesn't have the, like, the girth to really stay inside and bang – he still shot a high percentage from the uh, field goal percentage for a, a, such a young guy. He shot 53.7%. And for a guy who probably and worked a lot in the mid-range, I really like that little nugget that he was able to keep a pretty good percentage while not shooting necessarily all that close to the rim. Like I'm looking at, a by per basketball reference, a field goal attempt percentage by distance. He was at 28, 8.9%, right next to the basket, 275 3 to 10 feet, 22% from 10 to 16, and then it, it you know continued decreasing. But like you see, he worked that mid-range game quite a bit. And if he gets a little bigger, maybe learn some post moves from a Zach Randolph, he's a guy I look at as a guy with some superstar potential on the inside. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then you start looking at some of his stats, like his per 36. I mean, you're getting, the, you're getting a solid 17. His free throw percentage isn't that bad as well. Almost, I almost fell into the trap of getting excited for his three-point percentage. But then I saw he only shot eight three-pointers and made three. I was like, nope, not making that mistake. But then you look at some of his PER. He's on the right side of PER. You want to be 15, right at 15 or higher. And he's at 16.8. And I was able to watch a few more of his games. And he's a guy, like you said, like you look at where he gets his bucket, not just inside. He has touch. And he's a guy who can also, he can grab rebounds when he needs to. That's another thing about him. Like he is able to do what he can. And I'm, I mean, I could see the possibility of maybe, I mean, this isn't for sure, but maybe Kus, 
Costa Kufos, he could be out in a little bit, and then they want to say, let's let's just go ahead and bring this guy along. You know, Kufos has been nice. You've been a veteran presence, but we already have we already have plenty of bigs. Or who knows? They might decide, hmm, maybe we don't want to keep giving money to Willie Colling Stein. We don't want to keep we don't want to sign him for a longer deal and pay him much more, and say we're going to go ahead and stick with Scal. Because also too, let's look at the two players, Willie Colling Stein and Scal. People would expect Willie Colling Stein to say, hey, there's a great defensive player, and I mean, he's probably averaging a lot of blocks, a lot of rebounds. But if you start looking at his stats, you're like, wait a minute. Maybe he's not all that we might have expected him to be. And, of course, a lot of it comes with playing time. I mean, a lot of these players, you really have to look at, like, well, how much playing time are they getting? Are they really able to to develop themselves on the court as they use their playing time? But who knows? As we develop, maybe Scal might pass him up. Right now, of course, Willie Colley-Stein, because of experience, he's getting a lot a lot of playing time, and he's going to be the higher guy, you could say. But it's a good thing you brought him up because I never really thought of that much as far as scout. But that's a, that's a guy who I can see kind of just, if they develop the talent, the Kings will start having something. And that's what they need right now. They need to show their fans, hey, we're not just going to trade away DeMarcus Cousins, tank for year after year after year. Let's at least show that we have some type of plan and show results. We don't want to be my, – my dread is you don't want to be with Orlando Magic or where is the valuable player that – where is that star, potential star player that the Magic could have? There's not really any way you can see on that roster could be a potential star player, but the Kings have a few guys that they can start bringing along now. And that's where I think it's a good point that you definitely brought up, Scal. Yeah, well, don't don't hate on my boy Jonathan Isaac just yet. I, I, have, I have some faith for him, so <laughs> fine, don't, fine, fine. Don't, don't, don't blaspheme there in the, church, in the church of Isaac. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Yeah, what was their projection? Their projections weren't very high. Their projection was 30 and a half. I, mm-hmm. I, think, the, like, I think that's fair because, you know, George Hills and Zach Randolph can win you a game occasionally. So, I think that's a fair number. I would guess they go under because I don't I, – George Hill hasn't played a full season since, I don't know, and – yeah, I, I just don't see this team winning more than 30 games. So I'd say under for the over-unders, but you never know. Like, they have a lot of young guys. If they hit, they can find a stride. I, I think I think this will be a much more entertaining team to watch than the uh, DeMarcus Cousin-less Kings last year post-trade. But, I mean, they're not going to be winning games. Yeah, and that's one thing. I mean, I told you that my hesitation with George Hill was his, his history of injury. I mean, last year – Great for the Jazz. Only played 49 games. Two years ago with the Pacers, Paul George was out with an injury. Oh, George Hill had a career high in 16.1 games, 16.1 points per game. Only played 43 games. He even had his first season with the Pacers, 50 games. His only, his healthiest time was his three years with San Antonio. He averaged about 77 games per season. That was his healthiest time right there. And as we wrap up this Pacific Division kind of just preview and also Kings. Um, I want to say that I, I do see him below at that 30. I mean, they'll win a few games with these veterans, but I see him kind of just hovering there and heading towards the lottery again. And who knows? They might be able to crack that top three and get one of those guys that are coming out. I think that will add even more in speeding up the process and what they're trying to accomplish, especially trying to do something in this division. Because right now, as I see this division, to me, the only surefire playoff team are the Warriors. I can't even guarantee the Clippers are going to make it. The Clippers might get pushed out by some of these other teams, especially – in the Northwest division and Southwest division are slowly making improvements. I can see the Clippers getting pushed out and you only have one playoff team from the Pacific division. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that full, fully. Uh, Clippers, I would like to think they can make the playoffs, and I'd like to think I'm a little wrong on putting them in a 500 team. But, you know, I'm I'm just a, a brand, uh, unprofessional prognosticator. What do I know? Well, yeah, I mean, we just got to be real sometimes. We got to be honest. We got to be real. And that, for me, then concludes our Pacific Division. Just wrap up. Almost of all divisions in the NBA, there's still one more that is left to be covered, which is the Southwest. But any final thoughts that you have on the Pacific Division before we finish off this podcast? I can't think of any way to tie in the heat to it, so no. <laughs> and now, for, for the Hero Ball quote for this pod, decided to pick a Pacific Division legend, even. A man who is no stranger to any of the five teams that we have just gone through. Some say he's a legend. Some say he's a thug. Some say he's an amazing basketball player. Some say he tried to make Kobe blink and Kobe did not blink. Those of you who are listening to this podcast right now, you might have heard of this player. And his name is Matt Kelly Barnes. Just found out about his last name recently. Matt Barnes, a player who has played on all five teams, has a great quote here that I'd like to leave us with. In relation to a situation he had with a former player by the name of Derek Fisher, he had to say, he sound real tough on here, but didn't sound like that when he was running around my house screaming and pleading. <laughs>